Welcome to another episode of the Cornet Northern California Chapter Podcast. This is Melissa Pacey, Principal at HGA Architects, member of the Leadership Council of Northern California Chapter of Cornet, and your host today. During this podcast, we'll hear from leaders of the corporate real estate industry as they impart the wisdom they've gained throughout their career and give our listeners tips for success. To stay up to date with the Northern California Chapter, please follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at Cornet NorCal. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and share on social media. And as always, please give us any feedback that you may have so that we can incorporate it into our next podcast. Today, I'm feeling extremely lucky as we have two unbelievable young leaders joining us, and I think they have some good insights, not only for our young leaders, but for anyone tuning in. And as a quick aside, this is the first time that we've actually recorded the podcast over the phone. So once again, young leaders are demonstrating that we're trying to do things a little differently. Our first guest, Michelle Lagos, is a member of the CBRE Global Workspace Services Client Sales and Solutions Team in the West. In this role, she works on bringing together the best of CBRE's platform to develop innovative solutions to complex, large-scale outsourcing initiatives for global clients in a wide range of sectors. She joined CBRE in 2016 and is based in San Francisco. In 2017, she received a Global Workplace Services Business Development Unsung Hero Award for her work. She is also currently participating in the Global Workplace Services Rising Leaders Program. As an active member of Cornet Global, Michelle serves on the Board of Directors for the Northern California Chapter of Cornet in the Administrative Director role. She is also the Communications Chair for the Cornet Global Young Leaders Committee. Our next guest, Maya Henderson, spent six years at Square as the Director of Global Facilities, where she grew the company from 16 people in a small San Francisco office to over 2,000 employees in 10 offices all over the world. In 2016, she left Square to spend the year traveling around the world and has since settled in Portland, Oregon, where she's now running her own consulting firm. Thank you both so much for joining me today. I have to tell you and our listeners that I was particularly excited to record this podcast. You're both coming from really different places, and I think we'll offer a really broad range of perspectives for our listeners, even though you're both in the same industry. And maybe most importantly, you're both total powerhouses in everything that you do. I thought that we would start out talking about things that are more focused around young leaders at this stage of their career, and then we can let the conversation evolve from there. Michelle, let's start with you. What challenges do you think that young leaders are facing today in the marketplace? Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that question, I think, from a commercial real estate outsourcing perspective, because that's very much the frame in which I view our industry. And when I thought about this question, I think there's two things in particular that I think in our environment that are changing that are bringing up some challenges. And one is the increased consolidation amongst the service providers that are providing outsourcing services. So the CBRE, the JLL, the Cushman and Wakefield. And then also the increased complexity of the outsourcing solutions that we deliver to our clients. I think every day they're becoming more complex. So those two things in particular are providing some challenges to young leaders. And how specifically that creates challenges, I think that when you're in one of these larger commercial real estate firms, it generally means that your role is a bit more specialized. When you work at a smaller maybe boutique firm, you're wearing a lot of different hats. You may be exposed to a lot of different parts of the business. So if you're a young leader and you're thinking about career growth and professional development, if you're at a larger firm, you might feel like you have a lot of depth of experience in one particular area, but that you're not exposed to a lot of the different parts of the business. And, you know, I think it's a challenge that it's easy to work 
through, but you just have to be very much aware of it and know, like in my case at CDRE, you know, I am able to access a lot of our internal subject matter experts to kind of, you know, learn from firsthand. There's opportunities to move around internally that you might not get at some of the smaller firms in order to, to get the experience that you're seeking, but I have to be much more self-aware, I think, of my professional growth and development, and that's a bit of a challenge. And I think along the same lines, too, there's also just a challenge that for our clients, a lot of the positions that young leaders might take, like an entry-level or mid-level type of position on the end-user side, like they're not there anymore. Like their, their internal real estate departments are very strategically focused, and they've outsourced a lot of the service to the service provider. So if I wanted to go on the end-user side, I think it's sometimes hard to find a position, right, because they're, they're all now outsourced to the service provider. So those are the, the main challenges that I see. And Michelle, you're obviously very successful. And so how did you, you know, before you ended up at CBRE, how did you kind of make that path for yourself at the companies you were at prior to kind of get to where you are today? I think you just have to, like, just be a bit of a self-starter and have some initiative, right? Like, there are areas that I was interested in learning more about, and maybe if my specific role didn't do it, uh, you know, raise my hand and volunteer for opportunities or to get involved in projects or even if it was outside of my firm. Like, I actually kind of stumbled upon Cornet just by accident within a company that I was at. But what immediately attracted me to it was that there was this bigger world out there. Like, I was at a very small architecture firm when I got involved in Cornet. And I just thought that the events that I went to were fascinating, right? There was all these things and I'd meet people and, you know, they would talk about, you know, like, oh, lease administration. I was like, what is lease administration? I have no idea what that is. Like companies have that service. That's like fascinating. Um, so I think just being eager to learn and then just also being kind of aware of where your own weaknesses are. And I mean, that's still something that, in, you know, in my position today, like I'm very much aware of the areas where I need to grow. And I'm always trying to think about like, how can I gain that experience, even if it's not direct in my day-to-day job? So I think it's interesting. I think long-term, maybe that's something I would want to do if I learned more about, you know, an X, Y, and Z. So I think it just comes down to, you know, don't be afraid to volunteer, to raise your hand, even if it's not directly part of your, your day-to-day job. I and, mean, of course, you have to keep doing that job. So it might mean a bit of extra work or a bit of extra hours, but just show, you know, the initiative there. And I think that those opportunities will kind of present themselves if you show you're interested in it. I think that's a good segue to you, Maya, because I know that you have certainly done that thus far in your career. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that as well as the challenges that you see in today's market? Yeah, sir, sure. So in regards to the challenges that young leaders face in today's market, I think it's important to remember that it's the same challenges that previous leaders faced in previous markets. And I say that because I think it can be comforting to hear that as a young leader to know that it's okay to reach out to leaders that aren't in the young leader category because they've faced a lot of the same things that we have and are facing. So that ties in really well into mentorship and just reaching out to people that are in your industry that you meet through Cornet or whatever method to ask them questions about challenges you're facing because they've probably seen it or dealt with it before. I didn't learn that until a couple of years into my career and I wish that someone had told me that earlier because people in our industry are so helpful and especially the previous generation love talking about what their experiences have been and teaching the young generation. So I found it so valuable just to reach out to and ask questions when I was running into problems. Um, so I think that that's, that's important to remember. And then as far as like a new challenge that young leaders are facing, um, I think that it's the rate of change is increasing dramatically. And as an end user, I would find that with my projects 
we'd be six months into a project and suddenly the business needs of my company had changed dramatically. And so the solutions, the lease, the space, the design, whatever that I was working on with my partners at the time would need to be changed or modified. And that can be massively frustrating to everybody involved because everyone's sunk in a ton of hours and time and money into whatever solution you already have. And so needing to kind of turn on a dime and change that can be really frustrating. But those are huge learning opportunities. Um, and once you get a couple of those under your belt, it's easier to face those going forward. But the first time that happens, when you're dealt with a mid, you know, change um, mid-project, it can be so frustrating and challenging. And I know that everybody in our young leaders industry has faced that multiple times now. Absolutely. My, you brought up a really good point about, you know, making sure that we kind of use our connections and get mentorship uh, when possible. Where do you go to get mentorship and guidance? Cornet, obviously, is a great place to start. Um, but I also would reach out to the partners that I was working with at the time, be it my real estate lawyers, my brokers, my architects, my contractors. I just love talking to people who are passionate about what they do. And my partners were the best people to reach out to with like industry-specific questions. So I find that the people that I work with are the best people to learn from. Above and beyond that, I would look to my bosses for mentorship because, you know, they know what's going on in the company and they can give me really good insight. So I would just lean on existing leadership within the company and then also the really great partners that I brought in from um, outside the industry. Yeah, it sounds like you're really like leveraging all of your connections in order to get as much information as possible, which I think is awesome. Exactly. Michelle, do you want to talk a little bit about where you go to get guidance? Yeah, I think a lot of it is very similar. And what I thought of, you know, when I think of mentorship, I think of there's both kind of formal and informal relationships. You know, the formal are things like a formal mentorship program. Like in our Northern California Cornet chapter here, the young leaders, right, we have the formal mentorship program, and I participated in that early in my career. And I think that was actually a good place to start because it kind of got me comfortable with, like, being a little bit more vulnerable or talking about things I was unsure of, right, and, like, it was okay in a safe environment. And even now at CBRE, our um, Global Workplace Solutions, GWS, we have a rising leaders program that they match you with a mentor internally that I'm participating in now. And like my relationship, I think, with that mentor is very different, obviously, than it was a few years ago when I was in that Young Leaders program, just because I'm more comfortable asking for help, right, and knowing that it's okay, and that's what I need in order to continue to advance. I need to work on some of these areas in kind of a safe environment. Uh, and then I would also, you know, reiterate Cornet, I think just informally a strong network that developed through Cornet. And those individuals stay consistent regardless of the job, right? I might move to a different firm or be in a different role, but those individuals have kind of been there through all of those changes. And so I can reach out to them in those, those times when I need a little bit of guidance. And sometimes even the jobs have come through them, right? Because I've told them, hey, I'm looking or I'd really like to do X, Y, and Z and been able to leverage the network because of that. And I think the other point that's important when I was thinking about guidance is just my peers. Like, it doesn't always have to be some, you know, senior leader who's been in the industry like 10, 15 years longer than I have or 20 or what, whatnot. A lot of times the guidance comes from the people who, you know, entered their career about the same time as myself and we're all kind of rising through the ranks together because they're in that situation. And whether, we're, you know, we're all taking on more responsibility or leadership positions or have direct reports or even on a personal side working to constantly juggle work and life balance, right, as we get married or have kids, um, I think that the, you're, you can learn just as much from your peers, and it's always important to have those strong relationships as well. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like, you know, 
especially as things in the marketplace change. There are those people who are dealing with the same things that you are, and it's great to have that network to be able to lean on others who are in a similar position. So similarly, you know, obviously the marketplace changes over time, and I think the way that we approach things as young leaders some, sometimes is a little bit different. Um, how are you doing things differently than your predecessors had done them? Yeah, I think the word predecessor is interesting, and it actually kind of informs the response as well. Because when you think about predecessors, it's like, who specifically are we calling out? Because everything is so different, right? The, every, the only thing constant is change. So I think one thing that's very different is there's just a, a much less structured career path now than there was maybe like five or ten years ago, right? When I first entered the profession, maybe this my role of like a client solutions director existed, but like I didn't know of it. I didn't know any client solutions directors, and now here I am in the role. <laughs> and maybe a couple years from now, that role will look entirely different. And so there's, there's much less able to say, like you need to do A to get to B to get to C in your career. And then I think the other thing that is a lot different too is just how we work, right? And it's very much enabled by technology. Um, you know, I don't go to the office every day. I work remotely some. I go into the office. Like the rest of my team, they travel all over. And if, uh, while there's obvious benefits of being with each other, being face-to-face for those meetings where it really makes sense where you're collaborating, you know, the work experience is very much the same whether I'm here or in the office, um, all kind of aided by technology. And I think the last thing, just in terms of doing different than predecessors, is, you know, the point I alluded to earlier about work-life balance is some of that you know, does come from working at home a bit as well. But I don't even think of it as work-life balance. I think of it very much as like work-life play. I read an article a couple of months ago that used that word, and I really like that word because I feel like when I was kind of rising, you know, and I had my kid, my first child and was like trying to figure out how to be a working mom, I always heard this work-life balance, and I never really felt like I quite got it. So when I think about it as this work-life way, for some reason, it just makes more sense. Like, there's days where work is going to be more of my time, and there's days where, you know, my personal life is going to be more of my time. But in the end, it always kind of, as long as I'm constantly, you know, it's back and forth and it's a juggling act, I just feel like that's a different way to approach it and to think about it. And I see other people kind of in similar positions as myself doing that, which I'm not sure when I was looking to people who were, like, working parents a few years ago. I feel like it was a little bit maybe more black and white um, about how they were juggling everything. I totally agree. And I think even on this podcast today, we have two people who approach it really differently. And so, Maya, I know that you kind of embrace the sway technique, but in a pretty different way. Do you want to talk about your kind of past year or so? As far as work-life balance? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, you kind of worked really, really hard for quite a few years in order to kind of cash in on that and travel the world. (laughs) Yeah, um, I don't know about cashing in on it, but (laughs) yeah, I definitely put work in front of life um, for a number of years. Uh, I started at Square when I was really young, um, and I didn't have a family of my own, and so I was able to dedicate 100% of my time to work, and I really enjoyed it, um, but it definitely wasn't sustainable. Uh, So as I got farther into my career and my tenure at Square, my my shift or my time focus definitely shifted. Um, I built my team as I got farther in the company. I was able to hire more people under me and start um, delegating things out so that I could spend more time from kind of like a top-down perspective instead of just doing everything myself and, you know, worrying about everything on such a granular level. So that definitely helped me in in my career and definitely helped with my work-life balance or work-life way. 
so by the time 2016 came, it was just a really great time in the company for me to uh, leave and then spend a little bit of time focusing on discovering what I wanted to do next and trying the great challenge of, you know, starting your own company and running your own business, which has been amazing and very challenging in, in very different ways, but something that I've really enjoyed so far. And I feel like for you, um, you didn't necessarily like have a predecessor for you to necessarily look up to, but obviously there are lots of people in similar roles in other companies. And I feel like you approached your job with kind of a fresh perspective often. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So at Square, I was the first person in my role. Um, so I was creating every, everything from scratch. All of our processes and best practices were what something that I was coming up with. However, um, I did have a great kind of mentor partner um, in Caroline Quick at Square, or I'm sorry, at Twitter. Twitter was a couple years older than Square, and so she was facing or had faced all of the challenges um, and growth challenges that I was facing just a couple years before me. So she was one of my best resources and somebody that I absolutely looked up to, looked up to the entire time I was at Square and even, and even now um, because she had kind of been there, done that, and could tell me what went well, what went wrong, what worked, what didn't work. And so she was a huge sounding board uh, for me and somebody that I definitely went to for advice. Since the companies um, had the same CEO, uh, we found that kind of best practices at both companies were interrelated. And so it was just a great place for me to go to for advice um, because what worked at Twitter, a lot of things that worked at Twitter definitely worked at Square as well. But as far as doing things different from just predecessors in general across our industry, I think that what I'm seeing young leaders doing more and more is just challenging existing norms. There's so many best practices that have been kind of baked into our industry that young leaders are kind of taking back out and re-evaluating and looking at them in a way of trying to seek if this is actually a best practice and something that we should continue doing. As Michelle was saying, like as our work style is changing so much and it's becoming so much more mobile and work from home and work from anywhere, in the past when offices and workplaces were really built to last, now we're looking at trying to build for flexibility in, instead. So that obviously changes how we build, why we build, where we build, when we build. All, all those factors are, are just get, get reevaluated. Looking to try to simplify processes, obviously like trying to be more green, something that probably our predecessors weren't really concerned with, but you know, how is what we're doing impacting the environment now in 10 years, 20 years, et cetera. Absolutely. Kind of on a similar line, obviously there are some major things happening in the market. Maya, you just mentioned a handful of them. But what other major disruptors do you see on the horizon? Michelle, do you want to take that one? <laughs> uh, sure, yeah. I do think it's interesting that in your comments, you, you did allude to a lot of the things that I feel like either have recently or a few years ago were going to be big disruptors, and that was kind of an evolution of the same, or not the same conversation, but a, you know, a step forward in terms of things like wellness in the workplace or you know, this multi-generational workforce. I mean, we both alluded to how millennials are working differently. So I just think that when we think about disruptors, I always think it's kind of interesting because it seems like an evolution of the conversation of a lot of these different topics. And so when I was thinking, when I think about it, you know, technology always comes to mind, and technology can be really played in a lot of different ways, right? There's how people use technology just in terms of the more mobile workforce. There's how 
commercial real estate executives are using technology to manage their portfolios in terms of like big data and all the analytics and things. But what really kind of intrigues me about the what's next out there, I really think the whole smart buildings and the idea that people can really personalize their experience in a building based on the technology, I just think it's really interesting. And, you know, people already have this capability or it's becoming increasingly popular in their homes when you think of things like you have in Amazon the Alexa or the Google Home or, you know, there's things now where you can like turn your oven on from your smartphone or turn your lights on or even unlock your door from your phone when you're like at the movies. And so this idea that you can really personalize every aspect of your interaction with the space based on technology, like how is that going to play out in the commercial real estate environment? Um, and I really think as consumers increasingly have it in their homes, they're going to almost demand or expect it in their office space. I mean, if you think of things like tablets and, you know, mobile devices that people, consumers had it and they kind of came to work and said, I want to use this, like I expect to be able to use this in my day-to-day -day job. I feel like we might start seeing the same things in terms of some of the smart building technologies. Yeah. It's just going to be really interesting to see, like, if the building, you know, understands who you are and can kind of track as you move through the space and control things automatically, like your lights turn on or the temperature of your space or it knows your next meeting is going to be in the conference room and it can start the projector, like, before you get there. Uh, and then, you know, I think that that also plays out to benefits to the people who are managing the space and not only benefits them in terms of being able to track all of that information to see if they're, uh, you know, running it as efficient as possible. And um, even from like an energy perspective, you don't have to have the lights on anymore. You can follow, you know, Michelle, myself, as I go through the space and turn the lights on or shut them off automatically based at where I am. I think it's going to open up a whole another realm of opportunities just to see uh, what else we can do in terms of just making sure that we're managing the space effectively um, and just really increasing and it's a worker's experience of how they interact with the space and then, you know, potentially even be using that as a tool to recruit new employees. I just think it's really exciting. <laughs> Nailed it. I'm so excited for actually smart offices. I feel like yeah. we're kind of on the cusp where there's a lot of vendors that are, you know, selling smart office solutions that, like, just aren't quite there yet because they're clunky or they run on a proprietary device or, you know, they only work for – 20 people at once, you can't get 2,000 people, you know, on the same network for like a, a lighting example like you've talked about. Uh, we're also obviously seeing tons of like security and privacy issues with those smart solutions right now. So they're just not quite there yet. But when they get there, it's going to be game changing. That's going to be so exciting when you have an actually smart office. It's going to be a huge difference. Building on what you said I'm also so excited for like self-driving and autonomous cars and how that changes the way we think about parking for commercial spaces or just how employees are getting to work. Like if that changes dramatically over the next, hopefully like one to 10 years when all cars are smart, are, are driving themselves around. Like that's just parking. I know is always such a, just such a huge issue for people working in commercial spaces. And if smart driving, or smart, I keep saying smart driving, if self-driving or autonomous cars change that, like that would be amazing. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Do you think it could also change just, you know, like the camp campus mentality and having spaces spread out more as people can kind of work and not have to necessarily be driving themselves? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of those cultural cultural shifts. Like right now, everyone's still really focused on, you know, the open office trend is still really big right now um, with kind of a new sector of I versus me versus we spaces. And as Michelle was talking about wellness spaces as well. So open office is still big, but it's starting to kind of change a little bit as 
office professionals are hearing their employees saying loud and clear that open office doesn't work for the majority of the people that work in them. So with a more spread out campus, you know, if you can, if your company can afford that, um, and then plugging in those autonomous vehicles as well, like that could be a really cool trend that we see in the future. I just don't think that it's, we're, we're ready for it quite yet. Absolutely. I mean, I think with anything, it's kind of an evolution of things. I think, Michelle, you mentioned at the beginning that these disruptors, like they kind of happen, but it takes a long time for us to actually assimilate them into what we're doing. Yeah, I feel like sometimes with some of these different topics, like it feels like we've been talking about wellness for a really long time. I don't <laughs> right? Yeah. But by the time the conversation continues to progress, and then it becomes more of the norm, right? And so it's interesting, things like the autonomous cars. Um, and even if you think about uh, I was reading some stuff this weekend about like using robotics in the you know the management of the facilities and the FM aspect of things. Like people are just starting to kind of dab their toe into that. But I think as the, as more and more people kind of start to explore it, that you'll hear more conversations about it, and then in a few years it'll just be you know commonplace. Maya, is there anything else that you see out there that you feel like is going to kind of change the landscape of commercial real estate? Yeah, um, actually, while I was traveling some trends that I saw when I was specifically in South Africa and Copenhagen were uh, really heavily mixed-use spaces and not mixed-use in the way that we think about it here, um, but like it's actually an office that is part of a green space, that is part of a cafe, that is part of a community space. And those spaces just kind of flowing together completely seamlessly in ways that I hadn't seen in the U.S. before. I think that a lot of United States-based clients love their own space. You know, these are my four walls. This is my office. And then we have surrounding amenities. But really integrating all of those spaces together into one big kind of community open fluid space um, was so different from what I'd seen here. And so refreshing um, and kind of collaborative and inclusive, I just found it really inspiring. And I hope that we can see some of those changes starting to come to the U.S. I'm hearing clients talking about it. I haven't seen it in practice yet, um, but I think that that would be like the next, hopefully that's one of the next new trends that, that we see for commercial spaces. It almost sounds like it's the, like the physical realization of how millennials are working, right? Like you don't need to be a part <laughs> of like a Google or something to have your entire ecosystem controlled about like mixing, you know, like seeing your friends and getting dinner and all your kids at the daycare and now you're going to pick up your dry cleaning, but it's very much like this blend of work and life and it's a little bit more seamless because you know we can answer our work emails on our phone as we walk to the cafe but then we want to sit and like see a friend and now we're going to go back to work and it's just very much less black and white right like everything kind of flows together and when you were talking it just kind of reminded me of that like oh that's in my head like how my work day goes that's like the physical manifestation of what it would look like (laughs) absolutely and with these companies that are building these big campuses you know, there's so much money that's invested, you know, in between these four walls. And if you break those walls down and spread the money out a little bit differently, you know, what kind of different spaces that could be more open and inclusive for a broader community, how can that be brought in and not only enrich the community, but also enrich the experience of your company's employees? Like, how does it impact everybody on a, on a, on a bigger scale? So I know that, especially in San Francisco, you know, companies are really conscious of, the neighborhood in which their office is and how can they give back to their neighborhood and how are they supporting their neighborhood because there's nothing worse than building an office, you know, in, an inner city office or an, in, in, or an inner city campus where all your employees do is just walk into the campus, 
spend, you know, six to 12 hours in the campus every day and then walk straight out again and don't engage with their community at all. So I think the companies are starting to think about that a little bit more. And with these kind of more interactive, broader campuses, I think that that goal can be achieved. Maya, coming from the end user perspective and seeing these types of spaces firsthand while you were traveling, what do you think it would take for companies to commit the resources required to make them a reality here in the U.S.? Yeah, it's, it's a huge investment, and it takes just a big uh, investment in one's resources and also just a kind of a, a leap of faith um, in doing something different. You know, anytime you stray from the norm, it's, it's going to be a risk. And there's going to be challenges that are that are involved in that. But I think it just comes, um, it's, it's just going to come from a company that's willing to kind of go for it and, and set a new standard. I think, too, I think there might be opportunities or maybe we'll see companies where looking for new ways to attract and retain talent, right? So if, if they're looking for a way to be a little bit different and stand out, especially in competitive markets like the Bay Area, um, you know, that might really appeal to a certain workforce or even, you know, our housing is so difficult to come by if they can find a way to incorporate kind of the housing with the community aspect where the employees can still go to work. Uh, I think maybe it might be more something that we see people exploring more in the market. Yeah, absolutely. You've both done a lot of amazing things to end up where you are so early in your career. If you could help others to achieve what you've achieved or go back and give yourself some advice, what would it be? So I think that, one, I would tell people, like, don't, like, it's a very, very small industry. So first of all, like, don't burn any bridges. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I'm working with someone on my team today. When I first met him, like, he's one of the very first people I met when we enter, when I entered the industry. And I was just always very struck. He was an end user at the time. And whenever, when I was co-chair of the Young Leaders Group, if we needed an end user on a panel or we needed an introduction to another end user to be on a panel or part of the mentorship program, he was always so generous with his time. And I always just, like, really admired that. And, like, he didn't have to go out of his way to be, to, you know, be overly helpful to us. And I just, that always kind of struck me as, you know, something that really hit home. And we were always friendly. And then years later, we find each other working on the same team, right? I never would have thought just through the evolution of career paths that that would have happened. And there's countless stories like that, or even internally when we start to talk about who knows who, and it's like, oh, they worked together, you know, so many years ago. And as, you know, I referenced earlier, the increased consolidation of, you know, service providers and things like that, like the industry is only getting smaller. So don't burn any bridges. And I think something that we both alluded to in our, co our comments is that people in this industry really want to help, I feel like, and give advice. Um, if you have questions. So don't be afraid to seek that out. I feel like sometimes people label it too much, like, oh, you have to find a mentor. And that seems like maybe big and scary or overly formal. It doesn't have to be anything like that. Like maybe you work on a project internally with somebody that, you know, you really admire or you feel like you just kind of connected with them. Like I've done that. There's been certain people who maybe they weren't my direct manager, but, you know, I really just had a better connection and found them easier to talk to. So when I've moved on, or they moved on, I just kept in contact and, you know, said, hey, do you have 10 minutes to, to talk me through, you know, X, Y, and Z? I'm not really quite understanding that. Um, and, you know, that, those relationships have been very helpful. And I think the last thing I, was, I alluded to this earlier as well, like, don't be afraid to kind of raise your hand and jump in and volunteer for things. Like, sometimes, you know, people don't sit around and wait to be asked. This is not always the case. People maybe don't know you're interested or they're concerned about your workload. But like if it's something that you feel passionate about or it's an area where you really want to get um, more experience, 
you know, it kind of rests with you to be proactive about going out there and finding ways to make that happen um, as much as you can within your, your position. Or if it's not something you can do in your position, go look for a volunteer organization. Like I actually really credit Cornette when I was co-chair of the Young Leaders Group. I feel like I learned a lot of leadership skills that I maybe didn't have the opportunity to gain in my roles in my job, like my official job, because I didn't have direct reports or it was just kind of a different type of role. Um, I gained a lot of skills that helped me just with my confidence overall that I feel like has played out in the rest of my career. You know, that was something that was purely volunteer that I was doing on my own time. That would be my advice to myself starting out <laughs> several years, many years ago. <laughs> your, your young, young leader self? Yeah, my young, young leader self. Yeah. <laughs> Maya, what about you? What advice would you give to yourself? Well, first, I want to take all of Michelle's advice because, like, that's, that's good advice. <laughs> and I find that the best advice always is, like, the simplest. You know, it sounds like, oh, duh, but in those moments, you know, when you don't have that advice, it just, uh, it, can, it can be so hard. For me, something that I wish that I could have told myself when I was starting out is that asking why is not a sign of weakness or failure, but asking why is actually a sign of strength. Showing people that you have enough confidence to ask a question is, uh, is actually a benefit because then you learn and you inspire a conversation as well. I used to think that if I asked somebody like what an acronym meant that they would think that I was stupid. But instead, now if I don't know what something means, I ask because then I'll learn and then we can have a, a better conversation and things get done faster and better. That was something that I really wish that I had known uh, yeah. when I was just starting out. Um, and also just knowing that you're in charge of your own career, which also sounds so obvious, but I think that when you're just starting out, you place so much pressure on your boss and you have all of these expectations about, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, and if I do my responsibilities and I'm a really good employee, then my boss will reward me and I'll get a raise and I'll move up in the, in the company because that's how businesses work right? Wrong. That's not how it works. You have to be in charge of your own career and you're in charge of, of your advancement. Um, you have to be your own self-advocate. And so that was something that I also learned uh, pretty early on, which was, which was good, but served me well, knowing that if I wanted something, that I was the only person who was going to make that happen. So that, that was another kind of big thing for me, um, learning that I'm like the only person that's holding myself back is me. And once I get out of my way, then I can actually advance in my career. Um, and then kind of a silly one, but it's also serious, is that it's so important to take vacations and not just not like what I did, like travel around the world because that was crazy, but actually just get out of the office and get away from your phone and get away from your computer even just for a weekend because if you're stuck with your head down in your work all the time, you're not bringing any fresh perspective to what you're doing and you start to get this tunnel vision and your work gets repetitive and you, don't, you can't come up with anything creative and it's just really hard to get out of that tunnel. So taking time to step away, get fresh inspiration, new ideas, talk to different people, it makes you a better employee, it makes you a better person. It's, it's just, it's so rewarding. And um, I know that especially in the tech industry, that vacations sometimes are hard to come by or aren't rewarded or aren't looked upon favorably, but it's just, it's so, so, so important to get out of the office occasionally. That's what I would always tell people that I was working with that were just starting out. Like vacation is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength and that you can take one. So like take it and do it, go for it. For all of our listeners out there, I think Maya brings up something that's really important, and we need to remember to support our colleagues taking vacations and taking time away for themselves, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really important point in the whole, like, self-care. Like, I've heard a couple clients recently who have, like, put their gym right in the center of the campus because they want people to know that, like, it's okay to take a break and, like, go exercise during the day, right? Like, no one's going to think poorly of you, right? Where are they actually promoting it because we realize it's a part of your well-being? I think that that's really important and to support each other in that. Like, if someone says, you know, oh, I can't do that call because I'm going to this yoga class or whatnot, like, that's great. They're, they're going to be better for it, right, in the long run. Um, I think that that's really important. But difficult to sometimes do. <laughs> Easy to say, but difficult to act on. And I really liked your point about asking questions. I think that that's something I've struggled with as well and just having the confidence to ask. But I actually, you know, just want to reiterate the importance of that and think that, like, almost the opposite, like you don't want to ask a question because you're afraid of looking silly or people thinking that you should know that. I think that asking questions actually shows that you're paying attention. Like you're there. You're like all in and you want to get better and you want to help the team and you're, you know, the whole team is going to be better in the long run because maybe other people are confused or it's going to avoid rework down the line. And so I think just yeah, don't be afraid to speak up. Absolutely. And in the rooms that we've been in as young women in this industry, you know, often you are the only woman in the room um, and especially when you're a young woman and you're it's all men and they're all older than you, it can be so intimidating <laughs> to, to to speak up. But as I spoke up more and more, I discovered that it it just made everything, as you said, better, clearer for 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 the present and for the future. So it's it's definitely a skill that that it needs to be honed and learned. But once you are comfortable with asking questions, it's massively rewarding. Yeah, agreed. Awesome. Well, thank you guys both so much for joining me on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having Thanks us. for having us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We'd love to keep this conversation going and want to hear what's on your mind. Please share your thoughts and comments on our LinkedIn page under the post for this episode. If you liked the podcast, please be sure to tell your friends and subscribe to us on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. On our next episode, we'll be catching up with this year's CRE honorees, Bill Roberts and Michael Caslow. I know we're all excited to learn more about their careers, but if you have something specific that you'd like to ask, please send us your questions on any of our social media outlets or on our website. I'm Melissa Pacey, and I'll see you next time.